Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now, channel 525. All right, it's the final hour of today's show. Jimmy Sangenberger in for George Brockler today as well as tomorrow here on News Talk 710KNUS and, of course, 6 to 9 on Saturday with the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. Reading here from The Hill, breaking news in the last half hour or so. Trump-aligned attorney Sidney Powell on Thursday pleaded guilty to six misdemeanor counts in the Georgia 2020 election interference case after reaching a plea agreement with prosecutors, the second defendant in the sweeping case to do so. And let's be clear about who Sidney Powell is relative to this case. She was going to be the one to expose it all. She was about to release the Kraken. And then she was about to release the Kraken. And then release the Kraken. And there was no Kraken. Kraken that came. The hero did not bring the proof. And now she has pleaded guilty. Powell appeared before Fulton County Superior Court Judge Scott McAfee to enter her plea just days before her trial was scheduled to begin next week. How do you plead to the six counts of conspiracy to commit intentional interference with performance of election duties? Asked Daisha Young, a Fulton County prosecutor. Guilty, Powell said. McAfee accepted Powell's plea and said that she cannot withdraw it. She was sentenced to six years probation, a $6,000 fine, and $2,700 in restitution. She will also be required to, quote, testify truthfully in future proceedings and must turn over any documents requested by the district attorney's office. And she was also required to submit a letter of apology to Georgia residents, which her lawyer indicated she had already done. To talk more about this breaking news, as well as what's happening in Washington, D.C., in the House of Representatives and more, syndicated columnist Ruben Navarrete, host of the Ruben in the Center podcast, joins me now. Good morning, my friend. How are you? Jimmy, good to be with you again. Thanks. Good to have you, as always. Uh, Let's just jump right in. I gave some of the top-line details on this plea agreement. What do you make of it? You know, it was striking. I started to read the story because... uh, in a sea of not guilties, where people are always saying they're not guilty and they want to go to trial, Sidney Powell, a lawyer, had, had made this calculus that, no, I'm going to take this, this deal. I'm going to plead guilty. I'm going to get probation for six years. I'm going to get a less severe sentence than a lot of other people are handed out. I'm going to pay a little restitution, make an apology, which, as you said, her lawyer said she'd already done. This was as good a deal as she's going to get, right? I mean, so I can see why she grabbed it. Uh, she doesn't have to worry about going to trial next week and um, – and this was a pretty pretty lenient uh, resolution as far as she was concerned. It was a sweetheart deal. And uh, I'm glad to see it. I think a lot of people were willing to t- ready and willing to turn the page 
And certainly I think the judge was happy to dispense with the case as well. Of course, this was tied in with that RICO case. Uh, Powell had been charged uh, or uh, indicted on seven charges in this case. What do you make of the bigger picture here, Ruben, as we now see the second person to plead guilty? And in this case, it was top Trump lawyer during the whole election stuff of 2020-2021 and the one who was promising the most. Well, you're right. There's a whole uh, part of this RICO prosecution. It's a whole slew of people, right? Rudy Giuliani is in that pile. Um, there's a um, there's a number of folks. It's, we'll see Jenna how, how others play this out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll see how others play this out. There may be, uh, you know, there's a lot of not guilty uh, pleas so far pending, um, and so we'll see ultimately what what comes out in the long run. Also, I'm not sure. It's it completely revealed exactly what she gave, what she had to give, and what she gave prosecutors to get this sweetheart deal. Uh, in terms of any additional information. But it just closes the Sidney Powell chapter, I think. But that was one small chapter in the overall book. Uh, there's plenty more uh, people to come to trial and, and much more to, to wade through. What, what do you think about this Georgia case? Because on the one hand, it seems like there's politics at play because you have a left-wing district attorney in Fannie Willis. But at the same time, I mean, we have audio recordings of Trump. We have some other things that, I mean, there's enough here to get Sidney Powell to say, you know what, I'm not going to go any further. I'm going to plead guilty Mm -hmm. before the trial next week. Bigger picture, how big of a deal do you think this case is? How real? I think it's a real case. I mean, I I did not like uh, the overcharging aspect. I think uh, the Atlanta prosecutor was, was accused of piling on, even by people who don't like Trump, who are supportive of the other indictments. They thought that the federal case by Jack Smith, you know, both both federal cases by Jack Smith um, related to the documents from Mar-a-Lago and to the um, to the uh, interference, uh, election interference charge, but that was sufficient. And so I was sensitive to the idea of the piling on, not because I'm sympathetic to Donald Trump, but because there's this backfiring effect. We saw Same. that exactly happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that exactly happened. And then I flipped it around and I said during the impeachment, debate republicans were set to make the same mistake democrat uh democrats did which is by going overboard and going after joe biden uh you end up sort of rallying his supporters around him so that's the way our politics work but having said that it's a real case and there's some real defendants facing some real charges and i I think it's highly unlikely jimmy that uh, of the 10 or so defendants as i recall uh, in this case that they're all going to get the same sort of sweetheart deal that, that Sidney powell got yeah, I, I would tend to agree with that, uh, especially because she got this out of the way earlier and was one of those who said, hey, I want the case to proceed for me earlier than next year. You know, Trump and some others had it punted to next year. Powell, that wasn't the case. And she clearly wanted to get this out of the way. Ruben Navarrete, syndicated columnist, our guest. Uh, let's talk for just a moment about the political implications of all this for Trump in his attempt to become the Republican nominee once again, how do you handicap the legal cases relative to his likelihood of getting the nomination? I'm sorry, I just broke up that last uh, few words there. How do you handicap the likelihood of Trump getting the nomination relative to these legal cases against him? Yes, that's a good question. So everything we've seen, you know, as predicted, was as the prosecutors, these Democratic prosecutors began to pile on 
Uh, it looked increasingly bad for Trump in a legal sense, but better and better for him politically. That it had the same effect I talked about with regard to Biden and impeachment. Uh, it excited the base, excited the, the supporters. It, it said, we got to defend our guy. And that's exactly what happened with, with Trump and the indictment. It also is really terribly unfair to every other Republican who's running for office, no matter how you feel about them, because they can't get any oxygen because every time there was an indictment, it took all that oxygen out of the room, all the focus is on Trump again. And I know that collectively, whether you're Chris Christie or Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley or Vivek Ramaswamy, you all said, stop indicting him, please, please stop indicting him. No more indictments because you're killing my campaign. And uh, I think that's a, another fair um, uh, part of this. So ultimately, you know, who, how it all shakes out, we don't know. But uh, these indictments are still problematic for him uh, legally, but uh, they're doing him great favors politically. Uh, do you think he ends up getting the nomination at this point? Yeah, I don't think there's a – I think we probably have known this, Jimmy, since day one, if you want to be honest. It, it, it's very hard, even before we saw the very first poll, to think that someone who has been president before, who, who does the unprecedented and runs again, uh, won't be the nominee because he already has that base of support. Uh, he always already has – he starts off with, um, you know, 50 million votes, if you want to put it that way. Mm-hmm. So he, um, he I think, is – most certainly the, nom- the nominee going forward. And also, come on, the other group has not done much, done themselves much good. You know, I, I've been impressed, as some people have, with Nikki Haley, even before this more Me recent uh, foreign, pol- foreign policy crisis. I think she speaks well, handles herself well. I think she's the grown-up in the room. Uh, she's tough when she needs to be. I've been impressed with her. But in the overall, I mean, look at the, if you look at the clown show that typically these GOP debates turns out to be, uh, you can see Donald Trump at home Saying, man, I'm glad, I'm glad I stayed home. I'm glad I didn't go to that thing. Mm. You know, I would have, uh, this was beneath me. Uh, and so, and that's why he doesn't suffer. One reason why he doesn't suffer in the polls every time he skips a debate. Sure. So it's a combination of things. He's doing great, and his, his opponents on the Republican side are doing terribly. Mm. Speaking of Republicans, let's look at the U.S. House of Representatives, where yesterday right. the second vote for Speaker of the House took place. Jim Jordan lost by 22 Republican votes, he needs, I think, all but just a handful, like four or five, in order to become the Speaker of the House. And that was more than the 20 that he didn't sew up on Tuesday. Among those who voted against Jim Jordan both of those days, and who also happened to vote yes on removing Kevin McCarthy from the Speaker's chair is Colorado Republican Ken Buck, who yesterday, I believe it was, was pushed by the media on whether or not he would support Jordan and what it would take to get his support. Take a listen to this. 15 hours away from tomorrow's vote, though. I mean, how do you plan to vote on the first ballot tomorrow? So Jim is going to come visit um, after this meeting. I'm going to sit down at the Nobles office where we're going to meet him. And I'm, uh, I'm going to tell him a no right now, but I uh, told him I would be uh, open-minded to uh, and what are some of the things you're going to bring up in that competition? Uh, well, if I bring them up now, it's, it doesn't sound like I should get them there. So I'm going to let them have that conversation with you and we can talk afterwards. Is there, tell us why you're a no right now. <laughs> That's a way of asking me. <laughs> let me ask you, like, is there anything that he could say to convince you to change your mind? Uh, there are a lot of things he could say. 
Like what? <laughs> <laughs> we asked it three different okay, you, you say you're a no right now. If the broker conversation, I don't know how to say so this politely. You're, you're a no. It was a little entertaining. hard to hear there, but basically he's asked three different times, "What would it take to bring you on board?" And he was, <laughs> I, I can't give, I can't give that answer. And he was, he was uh, uh, playful in, in in saying that. But he fundamentally, the main point that he was saying is, "Look, I'm a no." And this was actually on Tuesday night before yesterday's vote. I'm a no right now, but I'm open minded. How open minded are these 22 who voted no yesterday, in essence, on Jordan, especially when we're seeing for both the Washington Examiner and Politico, as well as other outlets, that the pressure campaign that they're trying to bring from Jordan, his team and allies is turning them off more than it is incentivizing them to get on board. Yes, you call it a pressure campaign. Uh, Some of the Republicans in the Congress, Republicans, mind you, are calling it blackmail, bullying, harassment. That's what the Republicans are saying. And they're saying that they are now inclined to less and less to vote for Jordan, uh, that the tactics are backfiring. I think there's three things that come to mind when we hear this story. One is you have to think back to Kevin McCarthy, uh, this name from the past, this distant past, right? This is somebody who was a moderate, but was also able to stitch together enough votes to finally win. Uh, and I don't think that Jim Jordan, Jim Jordan or, or virtually anybody else can do what McCarthy did. Give him credit for that. Um, he was his own undoing because he was not trustworthy. He lied to fellow Republicans. He, he made promises he didn't keep to fellow Republicans in addition to what he did to Democrats. So, but that's not, that's, that's separate and apart from being, having sort of the right mixture chemistry to get elected. Ruben, can, is, can I just, before you get to that second yeah. point, can I just jump in and say yeah, sure. that in, in the case of McCarthy, he was trying to do it the deal-making way. Of course, he over-promised and then under-delivered. The Jordan folks are doing the exact opposite, which is rather than trying to strike deals, at least it seems this way, they are using strong-armed tactics to say, hey, yeah. you need to get yeah. in line, and it's not working. Yeah, I have to consider the source here. You know, Kevin McCarthy is somebody who seemed to have been proud to be House Speaker, something he had worked toward uh, all of his career. And when the House was attacked on, in the January 6th insurrection, uh, he, together with Mr. McConnell, took the establishment view of how dare they, this is unacceptable, whereas Jim Jordan was seen as one of the instigators uh, and someone who was you know, called, even by fellow Republicans, this kind of bomb thrower. You know, uh, So, um, so there's, there's all this. Um, I think it was John Boehner who first referred to him as a terrorist, right? You're a legislative terrorist. He called Jim Jordan that. That's right. So these are yes. Republicans. Yeah. I mean, forget the Democrats. This is what Republicans say about Jordan, and this is why I can't get that support. The second point I was going to make was the flip side of that coin is, oh, I don't want a squishy moderate. Great. Why don't you go for a hardcore conservative? And then when you do that, you lose the votes of the moderate. And that's exactly what's happening. And third was the point about uh, that we made earlier about the backfiring, the tactics. You really don't have to know how to get votes and and basically threatening people and saying, hey, uh, we're going to have constituents call you. People who don't even live in your district are going to call you. are going to harass you. Derek, give me. There's even been a report by a Republican member of Congress that she's been getting death threats, death threats yeah, uh, from constituents and from non-constituents who say you better vote for Jordan. Yeah. Two people now are uh, apparently claiming that. That is the not the way to persuade people and win votes. Every, uh, I predict no. this, and every time he takes a vote, Jim Jordan's going to get fewer votes every single time. Well, and, and let's and let's be clear that 
Jordan has no responsibility directly for any uh, death threats that are claimed. But the point is not that. The point is that when you have this kind of pressure campaign and you're really launching it both privately and publicly, um, then you you can see the animosity build. Yeah, and let's play with that. Let's say that uh, it's the Democrat side, and let's say the squad is piping off about Israel, as it tends to do. Uh, if the White House says, well, Joe, President Biden had nothing to do with that, he didn't pipe off, you know, he's been quite clear in his support for Israel, he doesn't speak for the squad and the squad doesn't speak for him. Well, our not natural response is to come back and say, yes, but you can speak out publicly against the squad. You can let them know that they're going to need you as president and you're not going to be there for them that come around right. if they don't shut up. Okay? So likewise, I'm not going to play this game that somehow, you know, oh, somebody threatened this, this Republican Congresswoman, but Jim Jordan had nothing to do with that. He can stop it. He can stop it today if he wants to. Uh, there is something to be said for that, for sure, Ruben Everett, a syndicated, ga- uh, syndicated columnist as well as host of the Ruben in the Center podcast. I want to, uh, real real quick, do you think that it's possible, as Newt Gingrich has suggested, that they could just say, for now, through January, let's just have the bow-tie-wearing Speaker Pro Tem, yeah. Patrick McHenry, yeah. remain yeah. in that position for the time? I think that's the way they, they're going to have to go. They should go that way. Patrick McHenry, who I didn't know from Adam before he took to the gavel. I love this guy. This guy's looking better and better and better by the day. Okay? He seems like a rational grown-up. And and I'm all for it. I was all all for this idea that he was just a temporary placeholder. Let's find somebody else. But if this is the way it's going to go, I much prefer that. One one idea, obviously, that you and I would agree is a non-starter is this crazy thing you hear from the liberal media about power-sharing agreements with the Democrats, okay? Right. That's Ludicrous. the non-starter. The Democrats would never go for that. Let's be real. Nancy Pelosi would have never gone for that, and the, and the Republicans will never go for this. But the roots of this all go back, not to January 6th, the roots go back to the election, to November, because you and I have had this conversation before. If the Republicans had done better in that election, okay, and yeah. I think they were, they were hurt by various issues and the way they played it from – from immigration, abortion, you know, uh, and the like, their reaction to January 6th, whatever it is that they did wrong, they did something wrong. Because there's no way that Joe Biden and the Democrats could have limped across the finish line the way they did uh, and given Republicans control of the House by, by a handful of votes. If the Republicans had taken control of the House by 20 votes, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Yeah. No, it's it's absolutely true. If you have a larger majority, then you can managed to sacrifice a certain number of votes, and that works out better on legislation as well as leadership. Oh, we're just about out of time, but I would re- be remiss if I didn't ask you, because you wrote an excellent piece for your syndicated column uh, about Harvard students being linked to an anti-Israel letter, uh, and, and the lear- lesson that they have been learning about consequences. Funnily enough, uh, my column tomorrow talks about consequences vis-a-vis opposition yeah. to Israel as well in a different way. Uh, what are you saying there? Uh, this is something we talked about with Rabbi Jonathan Hausman in the 7 o'clock hour, so I'm curious. I think that uh, Republicans have always had it wrong when they speak out against cancel culture. I have written many times that I am pro-cancel culture because cancel culture is about holding people accountable on the right and on the left. And there have always been cases of left-wing people who piped off. Uh, Kathy Griffin, good example, holding up the mock bloody head of Donald Trump, right? She cries, they canceled me. Yeah, they did, right? So I'm okay with the left getting canceled and the right getting canceled. In this case, what's ironic to me is a lot of Republican and conservatives who 
previously say they don't like cancel culture when it applies to Tucker Carlson, now want to cancel these students. And I am consistent. I'm still pro-cancel culture. I think to some degree these students should be canceled. They're going to learn a life lesson about how you don't sign a document you haven't read. And if you do read it and do sign it, then you own up to it. If this, in fact, is civil disobedience, let's keep in mind that the most famous example of that, Martin Luther King wrote his letter from the Birmingham jail. So now yes. they have to go to figurative jail. They have to take their punishment, and they shouldn't cry about it and whine about it. This is, this is welcome, to, welcome to life, pal. So, uh, this is what they don't teach you at Harvard. We, we don't have time to really get into this today, but we should explore in the future uh, in another conversation, Ruben, about the idea of being supportive of cancel culture versus recognizing that there are some times where having somebody canceled is is, is worthwhile but not having a culture of it, that there could be a distinction there between that. So I'll be curious to unpack that down the line, but we got to call it there. Ruben Navarrete, syndicated columnist. Check out his podcast, Ruben in the Center, on which I was at the end of last month. So be sure, any platform, to go give it a listen. Ruben, thank you, my friend. Brother Jimmy, thank you. Bye-bye. Once again, Ruben Everett, a syndicated columnist, joining us here on The George Show. Jimmy Sangenberger in for George Brockler. What are your reactions and takes? How about it? Sidney Kraken Powell has just pleaded guilty in the Georgia case. What does that tell you about where things are at in that regard? And how about Jim Jordan and the battle for the speakership, whether that is Ken Buck opposing it or... The general tone and tenor of the dysfunction that we're seeing. 303-696-1971. You can also text into the show on the 710KNUS app on your smartphone. Name in town. Name in town if you wish to text in. Keep it right here. Jimmy and for George. Denver's local talk leader. News talk. 710KNUS. Ingenberger here with you. And for George Brockler today and tomorrow. A News Talk 710-KNUS. Our telephone number, 303-696-1971. I believe the U.S. House is readying to do a third vote. I think they're planning to do that on Speaker of the House again today after two defeats for Jim Jordan. Now, I, I said this in the first hour. I like Jim Jordan. I'm cool with the idea of a Speaker Jordan, but there are a couple of challenges with this. Questions, doubts that I have, use your word, concerns. One, he doesn't have a legislative track record of getting things done in, in terms of what Congress is about, legislation, and sponsoring and shepherding legislation. That's the number one role of a Speaker of the House is to oversee that and to get things done. He doesn't have that track record. I also think that he's lacking some of the leadership skills as embodied in the way in which Republicans have been, as Ruben Navarrete was talking about in the last segment, have been saying, look, we're being blackmailed. We're being browbeaten. They're coming after us big time. Two have said they've gotten death threats from people for not supporting Jim Jordan. That's excessive and unacceptable and death threats are never appropriate or acceptable but the point is that 
it seems the Jordan team is not taking the right tact to win over Republicans. Now, McCarthy did the exact opposite. He overpromised. And that's an issue on the other hand, because then if you can't deliver on those promises and you're held accountable for it, well, here we are. You lose the speakership. The other thing about Jim Jordan is he is excellent on TV. When he's in those Judiciary Committee hearings and he's got somebody in front of him that he's grilling, boom, you don't want to mess with Jim Jordan. And that is an asset. You can't do that if you're Speaker of the House. It's not about a TV role. It's about leadership, getting things done, and right now you need that in Congress more than anything. Especially with a war in Israel that requires our support and with a an impending government shutdown. That at this point, you can't say that it's necessary because you don't even have Republicans hashing it out. 303-696-1971. What do you think is going on here? And what do you think is going on with Congressman Ken Buck and his heretofore refusal to vote for Jim Jordan? Let's go to Janice in Walsenburg. Good morning, Janice. How are you? Oh, Okay. Yeah, I wanted to make some comments about Ken Buck. Every time he has an excuse of why he isn't voting for somebody, he equivocates on some little minority reason. It's never the same one. Uh, you know, real Republicans voted for him to get in office, and he went to Washington, wrote this fine book on the, the swamp. Yes. And then uh, all of a sudden he becomes this and that that we don't even recognize. Well, is that is that genuinely the case here, though? Because in this instance, the objections that he seems to have, there are a few of them. And I don't think that that makes him a, a, the, the instances that he's citing concerns make him a rhino or make him a, a total flip flopper from where he was before. You may disagree with where he's at on Jim Jordan, but I don't see how it shows that he's somehow totally changed his tune on Washington, D.C., uh, or in his time in Washington, D.C.? Well, do you think it's personal because he got passed over for the House Judiciary Committee? It's entirely yeah, possible that the there's, it's entirely possible that that could play a role. Who knows? But even if it did, what, what that shows is, at least in the case of uh, Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy and his decision to vote no on McCarthy, maybe there were personal animosities there. That shows failures of leadership on the part of the likes of a McCarthy or a Jim Jordan when you're not rallying there uh, in, in the appropriate way. I think that there is something to be said for that. There's also something to be critical of if if it's if it's solely based on some sort of personal animosity or personal reason. Yeah, that's that's not a good thing, um, but. I don't think that's the case here with Buck and Jordan. I think that there are several reasons that that Buck has. I don't know. Uh, I can't get in his head, but it seems like it. And this guy that they're promoting, Jeffries, what are his uh, qualifications? Well, the Democrats are promoting Jeffries because he's their their leader. Um, absolutely not to Jim or to uh, Hakeem Jeffries. That's for sure. Well, why can't the uh, Democrats all stick together? Every single one of them vote right down the line. And you know what? Yes. Do it. You are, what is wrong with this? Yes. You are hitting on something. I got to leave it there, Janice. I want to build off of that exact point because I think you're raising something very critical, which is that Republicans can't get their house in order, literally in this case, get their house in order. Listener text came in. 
I do not understand why it was fine to have 15 rounds of votes for Speaker when McCarthy was voted in, but Jordan has to give up after three. More typical non-Democrat double standard BS. And Ken Buck must be voted out of office. Okay, it's an opinion on Ken Buck. Let's go to the 15 rounds of votes for Speaker when McCarthy was voted in, but Jordan has to give up after three. Let me ask you a question. Was Kevin McCarthy made a stronger or a weaker Speaker after 15 votes? Especially given all the promises that he had to make in order to become Speaker, promises he could not deliver on and ultimately was held accountable for by fellow Republicans. I would submit to you that with each round of voting, McCarthy made himself increasingly weaker as a Speaker. And it goes in part to the point that Janice just raised. Democrats fall in line here when it comes to their leadership. Guess what? Pelosi would. I made this point many times since January. Pelosi would never have let it get to the floor without her having the votes in line in advance. She was the master of whipping votes and getting people to fall in line. There was an effort on the far left to have a force the vote effort where the left-wingers would, back in 2021, I think it was, they were pushing for the left to hold over Pelosi's head, the speakership, you have to have votes on this, this, and this, in order to become speaker. And that never happened. They never made that effort, because Pelosi knew how to get them in line. And what we are seeing here is whether it is three votes or 15 votes or 100 votes for Jim Jordan or 15 votes for Kevin McCarthy, the Republicans are showing right now that they don't know how to govern because they can't get their house in order, because they can't get this sorted out, because they're not acting like adults. And this goes from Jim Jordan to Ken Buck to Kevin McCarthy to the rest of them. All all of the Republicans, what, 217, I think, of Republicans that are in the House own some, own some responsibility for this. No, I don't think that having 15 rounds of voting for Jordan is acceptable because it happened for McCarthy. We were at a point in January where... Things were just getting started with the new Congress. Republicans have just taken control. There's a time for getting your leadership sorted out. Now we are midway. And there is a big issue with the fiscal cliff right now. And with an impending government shutdown. With a war in Israel where our Israeli allies need our support. And Congress can't act because guess what? The House doesn't have a speaker. I don't care who you are or what party. That ain't good for the American people, nor is it good for Republicans politically. 
Because then they end up getting blamed for a government shutdown. And guess what? They deserve the blame if it happens because they couldn't get a leader in two to three weeks midstream. When before the polling was multiple polls showed Biden and the Democrats were ready to get the blame for a shutdown. Then they remove McCarthy and then they get to this point where they can't fill that spot. It's time to just cut your losses and get to Patrick McHenry if you can't sort this out in the next couple of days. Give it a few more votes. That's fine. But if by the end of this week, going into the weekend, you don't have the speaker sorted out, work something out for McHenry to be in charge going in through January and then use the holiday Christmas break to get this thing sorted out. I don't know. What do you think? 303-696-1971. Real quick, before we have to go to our break, let's go to Jay. Jay, good morning. You're on with Jimmy and for George. Oh, gosh. I had such a great point you were talking about, but it's not real quick. But the Democrats are You're fine. so good at following, like Pelosi. Yes. Um, you know, it doesn't matter. It could be into the arms of death or whatever. They'll just do it. It's They're, they're just such followers. But do you remember when McCarthy was running, I'm sure you do, a guy running across the uh, Senate or the Congress floor was going to punch the Florida congressman because he wouldn't vote for McCarthy? Yes, and that Florida congressman was Matt Gaetz. Okay, and Matt Gaetz, and then the guy got carted off by the uh, general um, place there in in Congress. You know, uh, one of the problems I have with this situation is I don't think they planned on McCarthy actually being removed and Gates and the the group there thought they were going to get their way again because they got their way before, you know, McCarthy made a deal with them, some sort of a deal. And I just feel like they just need to put the guy back in. He seems like a politician. He seems reasonable and capable of discussing things with both sides of the house. And I really like what Jim Jordan's doing an investigation for the Biden crime family. Uh, because that uh, hair on the back of that gorilla needs to be exposed, you know, two years ago, but we need to do it now. I appreciate the call, Jay. Thank you. 303-696-1971 is our telephone number. Text coming in from Carolyn Golden. The point to me is with McCarthy, we at least had a speaker. Now we look weak and bumbling. It could cause loss of Republican majority for the next election because we appear incompetent and disunified or ununified, whichever the word is. I raised this point earlier, and I think it fits with what you're saying, Carol. The Denver School Board is likely to see three new members, one no matter what, because Tay Anderson had only 9% approval and They said, and he said, okay, I'm calling it quits and I'm not going to run for election because I'm inevitably going to lose. But there are two incumbents who, very good chance, looks like that they will lose. Scott Balderman and and Charmaine Lindsay. Looking at the way things are and the fact that Mayor Mike Johnston just announced that he's endorsed the non-union candidates. That would be John Youngquist, Marlene De La Rosa and Kimberly Sia, the non-union candidates. And it's because the Denver Public Schools Board is so dysfunctional that he felt, ah, I need to get into this and make it clear that I'm opposed to this dysfunction and want to change. 
That's the same kind of mindset that we could see from Americans across the country going into 2024. And guess what? It will weaken the presidential nominee, whoever that is, even more. I just I, I, I don't I don't get it. Except there are too many cooks in the kitchen. And not enough chefs. We'll see what happens. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger. Got to run to a break. We've got a couple minutes more on the other side here on The George Show. Jimmy in for George, Denver's local talk leader, 710 KNUS. Rocking this house into the end of today's show. Jimmy Sangenberger in for George Brockler. Deborah Flora up from three to four. Then Stefan Tubbs on his farewell tour from four to seven. Right here on 710 KNUS. I'm back in the saddle again tomorrow morning. We will talk with veteran political almanac. I like to call him the one-man political almanac. Michael Barone, senior political analyst at the Washington Examiner, will join me at 6.30. We'll be talking with retired Brigadier General Doug Slocum, who is a former tactical wing commander, 35-year Air Force veteran. He's going to offer insights from the military side on what's happening between Israel and Gaza. We'll see what else we have in store then. I really wanted to get... In this clip of, a, we got a couple clips of Pierre Polivier. I, I think that's how you say his name. He's running for prime minister in Canada, and he is the conservative candidate. And he just brilliantly, in a master class, showed how to handle the left-wing media when they try to pin you down by questioning their premises as you're going. And he was snacking on an apple as he did it. It was just wonderful. I want to get to that tomorrow here on the program. And, of course, Saturday morning, there's the Jimmy Sangenberger Show from 6 until 9. I really hope that the Republicans can get there together in the House because Israel needs our support. Democrats need to get the blame for government shutdown if it happens. You need, I mean, look, you get a Speaker of the House in there, then they have to negotiate within the caucus. Then they have to negotiate with the the Senate. They got to negotiate with Biden. There are a lot of things that need to come into place. And the idea that this Congress can get it together just on the fiscal side of things, especially without doing a continuing resolution again, uh, I don't see how that's plausible or possible. You give fodder. I'm sick and tired of Republicans giving fodder to the left from unforced errors. Why? It's unnecessary. Whether it's Jim Jordan or somebody else, get it together, get a speaker, move on forward, and make it happen. Time literally is of the essence. Literally, of the essence. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger. Been filling in for George Brockler. Check out my website, jimmysangenberger.com, where you can email me 24-7-365. All ease, all the time. 
in Sangenberger. No A-I or U once you know that. Sangenberger is easy. I, I have to say I love Billy, you'll appreciate this. I, I went to Tommy Castro concert uh, last Friday, not this, yeah, last Friday, and I sat in with him. He's a blues guy, and he played at Ophelia's Electric Soapbox, and I had a listener come up to me. I sat in, and after I sat in, he shook my hand, and he just said, all ease, and I said, all the time. His name is Norm, and that was fun. That is it for me. Back tomorrow, same time, same place. Thanks to George for having me sit in both of these days. I hope you have a great rest of your day. And as I always like to say, may God bless America.